Hello and welcome back to Redeemable. I'm your host, Josh Hornberger. Let's get into it. What does the word reputation mean to you? When I say the name George Washington, what do you think of? How about Adolf Hitler? What comes to mind? All I gave you were two names. You determined for yourself who that person was and what they were like. With Washington, you probably thought of the leader of the Revolutionary War and the first president of the United States. With Hitler, you most likely thought of the man responsible for World War II and the killing of nearly 6 million Jewish people. Now, Hitler died 75 years ago, and Washington died 221 years ago, but we can determine what kind of man they were judging upon their reputation. Your reputation lasts longer than you do. Today, we're going to look at a story of a man who had an excellent reputation, yet the people he worked with tried to destroy it. We are going to be reading the story of Daniel and the lion's den, but probably not in the way you've heard it before. The story of Daniel is truly fascinating. When Daniel was about 15 years old, he was taken from Judah as a captive to Babylon. Over the years, he rose to a position of authority and respect under King Nebuchadnezzar. And later, when Babylon had been overtaken by the Meds and Persians, Daniel was held in the same regard by its leader, King Darius. The prestige, honor, and authority given to this Jewish man fueled a hatred and jealousy among the king's officials. This is where our story begins in chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then this presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion nor fault, forasmuch as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So those who wanted Daniel removed began to conspire together to find a fault or any wrongdoing that Daniel had committed. But they couldn't find a single thing against him, and so they attacked his faith in God. So the men came before King Darius in verse 7 and said, All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it might not be changed. The king's administrators proposed a law to King Darius that as a display of loyalty to the king, anyone found praying to any god or man other than King Darius for the next 30 days would be thrown into the lion's den. And in verse 9, Darius signed the law, and according to their custom, it could not be changed. Verse 10 reads, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, giving thanks before his God. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning his decree, and said before him, That Daniel regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. 
And when the king heard these words, he was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. Then these men said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Meds and Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. So here we find that Daniel was aware of the law, yet he prayed to God giving thanks regardless of the consequences. The king's administrators then found Daniel praying, just as they knew they would, and so they brought him before the king, presenting him guilty of breaking the law. Verse 14 reads that King Darius became upset at himself and tried to disband his new law, but the deceitful officials were quick to remind him that the decree could not be changed. Continuing into verse 16, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Now, at this time in history, lions roamed the countrysides of Mesopotamia, and the people feared and respected the lions for their power. The Persians were known to capture lions and keep them in dens where they were attended to, but they were rarely fed because lions eating you alive was an execution method back then, and they wanted to keep the lions hungry for whoever broke the law. And so King Darius had no choice but to send his most trusted administrator into the den of hungry lions. Continuing into verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came up to the den, he cried with a loud voice unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. The story of Daniel in the lion's den that is often pleasantly told in children's Bible storybooks portrays Daniel as an old man patting the head of a smiling lion. But the reality is so sinister and far from the romanticized animated cartoons. This is a story of conspiracy, fueled by jealousy and a thirst for power where people would stop at nothing to eliminate their competition. The presidents and princes sought for a flaw in Daniel's character and could find none. They searched for a mistake in his work and could find nothing. No one had a negative thing that they could say about him. He had what the Bible calls an excellent spirit within him. Now, if you watch the news anything like I do, I think you'll find this theme in Daniel is mirrored today in current events. The similarities between our story and the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Amy Barrett deserves a closer look. On both sides of the aisle, Amy Barrett is regarded as highly capable and qualified for a seat on the Supreme Court. If not for the highly politicized timing of these hearings, there would be no question as to her appointment. Her reputation as a scholar, professor, judge, and mother, as well as her demonstrated intellect during the hearings this week, cannot be challenged. And the only thing those who oppose her nomination that have collectively cited what's wrong with her is her strong faith in God, and their fear that such an allegiance to God would skew her ability to judge fairly. It almost sounds as if 
certain members on the committee couldn't find anything wrong with her, except when it pertained to God. You know what stands out to me reading this story? It's not Daniel being thrown into a den of lions. It's that once those deceitful men tricked the king into banning prayer to God under punishment of death, Daniel prayed anyway. We know from reading the beginning of the chapter that Daniel had a great reputation throughout the kingdom. But his reputation wasn't the reason he broke the law alone in his own home. It was his character. Let me give you an example. If I wanted to know what kind of person Travis Kelsey is, I would look on his reputation. I would read on his accomplishments, his awards, his background, and his family. I can study the facts about him, see the reputation he's built, and determine for myself what kind of man Travis Kelsey perceives to be. But I cannot determine exactly who he is. Who you are is in your character. Your reputation is just an illustration of your character. John Wooden, the late UCLA basketball coach who led his team with 10 national championships, said it best. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. If you wish to be considered a genuinely nice person, you must implement and practice acts of kindness, meekness, and self-control into your character. Notice I didn't say reputation. You reap what you sow. What does that mean? If I plant an apple seed, I will get an apple tree. Your character and reputation abide by that same rule. Say I grew up as a prideful person. I was a prideful kid, a prideful teenager, a prideful adult, all the way to my deathbed. All my life, I was prideful of the money I made, the house I owned, and the family I had, all the way up to my death. What are people going to think of when they hear my name? When they pluck an apple off of my figurative sickly apple tree and take a bite. What's it going to taste like? It's going to taste like pride. And they'll spit it out. Ew, this is bitter. And that's how I'll be remembered. My reputation would be bitter. But say instead, I was taught growing up to be humble. So as I grew and went through the seasons of life, I practiced humility. So that one day when I pass on, people will be able to pluck an apple from a healthy tree and take a bite. Mmm, this one is sweet. You reap what you sow. If you plant a prideful seed, you'll get a prideful tree. If you plant a humble seed, you'll get a humble tree. The planting of the seed is done in your character. You will grow through the sunny days and the rainy ones, as will your tree. And one day, your tree of character will produce its own fruit. The taste of that fruit depends on the quality of the tree. Your reputation depends on the quality of your character. So I gotta ask, what does your fruit taste like? Galatians 5 verse 19 reads, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, wrath, strife, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, and revelings, of the which I have told you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are many ways to get a bad-tasting apple. Greed doesn't taste good. 
neither does dishonesty or selfishness. Yet there are times in our lives that we display them for all to see. Why? Because sin is in our character. We've discussed sin in a previous episode, and that sin is the disobedience of God. Therefore, we live in a fallen world. That's why we see adultery, idolatry, murders, and hatred. The problem is that we have the weed of sin in our character, and left unchecked, that weed will choke out the good seeds and spread into our fruits. Sin must be plucked out of our garden. I relate sin to a weed because a weed grows where you don't want them to, they easily spread, and they're inevitable. Even for Christians who have asked for forgiveness of their sins and have placed Jesus at the forefront of their lives, they too experience sin. Sin can consume your character and destroy your reputation, and eventually it'll kill you because the wages of sin is death. So how do we fight weeds? With weed killer. When Jesus was on the cross, he took our sins and put them on himself so that when he died, he paid the sin debt for us. He then rose again three days later, proclaiming he is God, so that we would have the chance to accept him as our Lord and Savior, and one day we'll live with him in heaven for eternity. Nine years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He transformed me from the inside out, because salvation happens within, the evidence of which is the fruits of the Spirit. And when I was saved, my character was changed, along with it, my reputation. As a Christian, I now had a reputation to uphold, because wherever I go, I now carry the name of Christ with me. As a Christian, your character should display acts of Christ-likeness. What does this look like? Ephesians 4 verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, and be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What I have learned as a Christian is that there is purpose in what we plant. You want a bad reputation? Plant the seeds of jealousy, wrath, and dishonesty. Continue to let the weed of sin choke out any good in your character until it consumes you. And one day, when you die, your memory, your legacy, and your reputation will be bitter. You want a good godly reputation? Plant the seed of love in your character. Here, plant the seed of joy next to it. Here's some seeds of kindness. Plant them beside joy. And don't forget goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you implement and practice these seeds in your life, they will grow from within and branch out into every aspect of your life. Daniel understood this. That is why when praying to God was banned, under punishment of being eaten alive by lions, Daniel went home and prayed anyway. As American author Harriet Brown Jr. once wrote, Our character is what we do when we think no one else is looking. That is how I know that Daniel's perfect reputation and the excellent spirit within him was due to his godly character. His good reputation wasn't a false persona. It was evidence that in who he was, he loved and served God. And when you have God within you, you don't have to be scared of lions. But there will be times in your life when your character is tested. It might not be getting thrown into the lions then, but it might be how you react when you find out your friend has been talking bad about you behind your back. 
It could be how you interact with your overcritical boss. Or when you're going to Walmart and someone pulls into your parking spot. How you react to these situations depends on what's growing in your character. If you want a good reputation, you must plant the fruits of the Spirit within yourself. Practice being gentle and loving. Practice self-control and being kind to others, just as Jesus instructs us to. Remember this, you have no choice in what you will be named, but you do have a choice in how your name will be remembered. Proverbs 10 verse 7 reads, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Nowadays, people love to say, don't worry what other people think of you. You do you. You know, to an extent, I disagree. Surely don't obsess over what people think about you. But it is important in what comes to mind when people hear your name, especially if you're a Christian. In my life, I have had and witnessed many tests of character. I remember last year, after a cross-country meet, me and the boys drove to Buffalo Wild Wings in UD to celebrate. We ordered and ate our mild wings, which was definitely not mild. It was probably ghost pepper. But anyway, when our check arrived, I took it and saw that it read $20.99. And there were six of us at the table, and we had ordered two big plates of wings. So we knew this was not our check. So we began to debate whether or not we should just pay the check and leave before they realized they gave us the wrong one. I admit, I voted that we pay the 20 and get out of there, and so did everyone else, except for Cade. Cade was the only one who believed it was wrong for us to pay the cheaper check. So we called the waitress over and explained that we were given the wrong one. She apologized and gave us the correct check. Our check came to $55. Some of the guys got a little upset at Cade for doing that, but I realized later that Cade was the only one that stood up for what was right. We all saw, whether we liked it or not, Cade's character. Cade unfortunately moved to West Virginia for college, but I'll always remember him as the one who stands up for what's right, even if it's not popular. So I gotta ask you, when people hear your name, is it bitter or is it sweet? What is your reputation? The Bible verse for today is Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And remember, you are custom made. You are loved. And you are redeemable. <laughs>